Well, hello everyone. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. Thank you so much for watching today, and welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. We're really grateful that you would make time, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of our major podcasting platforms. We're just really thankful that you would be here. And as always, I'd just like to encourage you to make sure you subscribe so that you make sure you don't miss any of our weekly content. Lately, we've been in the midst of a series of episodes about spiritual disciplines, and we're actually bringing that to a close today. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't more spiritual disciplines to explore, and maybe we'll do that at some point. Um, but today we're going to wrap up our discussion of this book, which is called Spiritual Disciplines Companion by Jan Johnson. She is a spiritual director. And so this is kind of the last segment that we're going to be going through today. And she talks about spiritual disciplines as ways to connect with God. Really simple way of thinking about spiritual disciplines. And I've been really appreciative of the time spent going through this book, and I hope it was good for you as well. Um, so yeah, today, in the meantime, we're going to be looking through the last segment of the book, which goes into something that she calls worship and celebration. And here at Faith Covenant, we've often defined worship in a variety of like our sermons and previous podcast episode as ascribing ultimate value to something. So when we are worshiping something, that means we are ascribing ultimate value to that. When we say we worship God, that means we are saying God is the most important thing in our lives. Of course, there are sometimes other things that we worship. Um, maybe it's money or status or material possessions. Um, those are things we want to stop worshiping so that we can keep our worship solely focused on God. And as a spiritual discipline, worship and, spirit and celebration include a lot of different aspects. And so Jan Johnson has a really helpful uh, description of that here. So I'm just going to read uh, some of what she says about that. She writes, Worship is, more than anything else, a response to God. God created us in love and nurtures us in love. One of the ways we respond to that love is worship. A vivid sense of God's love creates in us a deep longing for God, which fuels our desire to worship. Celebration is also a response to God, an expression of joy about who God is and what God does. And so she lists um, examples of things we worship about God, saying God's character, such as God's love, joy, and peace. These qualities grow in us through the Holy Spirit because God overflows with them. Also, we can uh, celebrate God's attributes, such as transcendence and imminence or closeness, along with wisdom, power, and majesty. And also God's actions, such as creation, careful attention to us, and keeping us under his wings. She also writes that worship and celebration flow from and feed into other spiritual disciplines, especially study. Study without worship breeds arrogance, but study with worship can result in more substantive worship. The study of God in his word and works opens the way for the disciplines of worship and celebration. In worship, we engage ourselves with, dwell upon, and express the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God through thought and the use of words, rituals, 
and symbols. Worship is also helped by the disciplines of solitude and silence because they teach us to be still before God and wait expectantly for God. Other spiritual disciplines such as scripture meditation, prayer, and confession are forms of worship. Worship enhances our sense of community and permeates our service. So in lots of ways, we've already been talking about worship throughout this series. Anything we do, if we do it for God, can be worship. We can worship God in our exercise, in the way we eat. We can give gratitude to God for providing that meal. Uh, We can worship God with our conversations with people, being focused on how can I show God's love to them. Worship is just a part of anything and everything that we can do as long as we are giving ultimate worth to God. So uh, Jan Johnson talks about this in a variety of ways. One way she phrases it is a sense of longing for God. And she does that by looking at uh, Psalm 63. We're not going to read the entirety of that, but we're going to read verses 1 and 2 of it just to get an idea of what that longing for God looks like. So Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary and see your strength and your glory. So it's just this really, um, I, uh, this really powerful image of thirsting for God. God is the water of life. We need it. We have a thirst for God. Um, only God can quench that. And that land that we're living in, uh, we don't necessarily have to be living in a desert place to experience that. We can experience that need for God throughout all of our lives. So Jan Johnson um, clarifies a little bit of that here in her text. She writes, As we make it a habit to respond to God every time we worship, a longing for God permeates our lives. If you've sensed that longing, even for a moment, you know what follows. A sense that God will never leave you. A deep confidence that God meets your needs. An alert expectancy that God will show up in your life and speak to you. And so I just really appreciate that idea that we are longing for God. And when we um, seek to meet that longing, that is what uh, worship is. When we are saying, God, we are in your presence. We love you. We are thankful for all that you've done. We are thankful for who you are. Um, And that is part of how we satisfy that longing that we have for God. I would also say that I think a lot of us experience a longing for God without always realizing it. Sometimes when we have, uh, when we try to fill a hole in our lives with something that isn't God, we learn that it's not enough. And that to me is that longing for God. People don't always recognize it as such, but I think everyone has that built into them in some way, shape, or form. She also expands on the idea of responding in worship when we carry on and look at Psalm 104, verses 31 through 35. And I'll read those here um, real quick. Again, that's Psalm 104, 31 through 35. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they pour out smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. 
I will sing praise to my God while I live. May my, may my meditation be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. May sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. My soul bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And again, this is just that idea that when we see God move in powerful ways, in this case, the uh, writer is talking about God rejoicing and looking at the earth and the earth trembles. And this moves the writer of the psalm to respond in joy and respond in worship. He rejoices in the Lord. He blesses the Lord. So we respond to God when we see God in action in the world. And so Jan Johnson talks about it like this. To respond to God, which is what worship is about, it helps to focus on the great worth of God, especially God's character, attributes, and actions. The verb worship developed from an ancient noun, worth-ship, and means to attribute worth to an object. That kind of goes along with that definition of worship that I talked about earlier, that idea of ascribing ultimate value to God. She continues and says, Even still, cultural tendencies interfere. Without meaning to, we find ourselves wanting to be entertained, as if we were spectators at a performance put on by musicians and pastors. Instead of responding to God, we take on a detached attitude, hoping God's representatives, like a worship leader or a devotional book, will pique our intellect, lift our spirits, or even tickle our funny bone. When we assume this entertain me posture, we drain the essence of worship, which is responding to God, who is downright crazy about us. As we form the habit of responding to God, an expectant longing for God is cultivated in our personal moments of worship. To seek God's face always in all of life becomes a goal. An idea that is also mentioned in Psalm 105, verse 4. So here when we're talking, she is mentioning that oftentimes when we walk into a worship service or a church service, we're often thinking of it as an entertainment thing. Is this pastor going to engage my interest? Or is the worship music going to be really exciting and interesting? Those are not necessarily bad things, but what we really should be looking for is, can I respond to God in worship? I need to be responding to God in worship, not responding to the people leading us in worship. It's worship is all about my personal response to God and what God has done and who God is. Jan Johnson also talks about the value of corporate worship and worshiping together. And the way she does that is by looking at 1 Chronicles 6, verses 1 through 36. And I'm not going to read that passage, but I'll describe a bit of it to you. In this passage, um, Samuel, who is a prophet, is leading Israel in a series of worship acts. And, or excuse me, David was actually the one doing that. David is leading uh, Israel in corporate worship and thanksgiving. And in doing that, um, they, they're just doing this together in a really powerful way. Worshiping together is so important. That's part of why we gather together as a church instead of just worshiping individually on our own. It is important to worship God on our own, but it's also important to do it together. 
And Jan Johnson talks a little bit about why. She writes, oh, that pastor can leave an audience spellbound or can really get a group going or never leaves a dry eye. When we have thoughts like these, we're revealing that our theology of worship goes something like this. The people up front are just actors putting on a show and the folks sitting in the pews are the audience. In truth, says Casey Ptomey, the worship leaders are like the prompters and stagehands who stay behind the scenes. The worshipers are the actors. God is the audience. What are we acting out? A response to God in worship. So when we're worshiping together as a worshiping community in church, whether we're in person or watching online, we have to remind ourselves that the people on the stage are not just performing for us and we're not the audience of them. We are all together worshiping together and God is our audience. We are responding to God and God is receiving our response. That's what worship is. It's not a performance. It's something that we participate in for a God who is loving and watching us like a proud parent watching their kid at a school play or something like that. She then moves into celebration and what it means to celebrate in the life of God. And the way she talks about it is as follows. She writes, get-togethers, parties, and holidays, outward signs of the spiritual discipline of celebration, teach us to recollect God's goodness to us. They allow us to make a big deal out of what God has given to us. Opportunities to make a living, companions along the way who love us and make us laugh, scenery and foods and cultures unknown to us before, stories and art that inspire our souls. Special circumstances like overcoming a hardship or achieving a goal call for overt festive celebrations to recognize God's interaction in our lives. The intentional celebrations described in scripture, especially that last one we talked about in 1 Chronicles 16 with David leading the people in worship, tell us that saying, eh, that was nice, just isn't enough. We need to throw ourselves into it, perhaps even as the Israelites did. Dallas Willard observed that they used their tithe in a feast before the Lord on a vacation trip to the big city of Jerusalem. Elaborate outward expressions of celebration are not inappropriate or superfluous, but are important responses and therefore worship to honor the greatness of God. Without such recollecting, we become despairing people who forget God's work in our lives. So we arrange our lives in order to remember God in every pleasure. And the uh, biblical example that she cites for these comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. And here in these passages, Jesus is sharing a variety of celebration parables where um, a woman is celebrating that she found a lost coin that was of great value. Um, there is a lost sheep that is returned to the pasture, and there is great celebration over that. And then also a celebration over the return of the prodigal son. The father of that son is just so excited. He throws this huge party even after this prodigal son has completely disrespected the family and disrespected the father. That father loves the son so much that he's like, nope, this is an important occasion to celebrate. So there is biblical encouragement for us to celebrate the good things that happen in our lives. 
For some of us, these things are very common, so we very easily celebrate things like weddings and birthdays, and we say, God, thank you for another year, or thank you for bringing these two people together. This is a really beautiful thing to watch their love unfold. But there's so many other occasions that we can celebrate as well. I know a couple of years ago, I couldn't have a party um, because of the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I finished paying off my student loans. And I wanted to celebrate that because God made that possible and like helped do a lot of things um, for that to come to fruition. And so I put a post on social media that says, hey, I know we can't celebrate this in person right now, but yay, I, I finished uh, paying off my student loans. And I'm really excited about that. So celebrate those things. Celebrate anything and everything that God does in your life that you are really happy and thankful about. Other people will want to celebrate with you, and we can all use that as an occasion to say, yes, God is good, God is faithful, let's celebrate that. So don't think that you have to wait for a birthday or a wedding to have a good party. Have a good party because God did something good in your life that you're really happy about. Maybe it's a new job opportunity or a new home or anything like that. Feel free to celebrate and give thanks to God. So we then continue our discussion with looking at communion and coming to the table as a form of uh, celebration. And to describe that, she looks at the example of John 6, verses 47 through 58. And we're not going to read through that right now, but it's basically a passage that talks about how Jesus is the bread of life. His blood is the drink of life. Jesus is what gives us eternal life. And so when we come to the table in communion, um, which we've also talked about in previous podcast episodes, when we approach that table in communion, that is a form of celebration. It's a form of celebrating what God has done in our lives through Jesus Christ. So Jan Johnson has a bit to say about that here, and she writes, When we enter into communion, we allow Christ to invite us into an everlasting life that is a new fuller life of love, joy, and peace. Participating in communion this way becomes a way of saying, I am willing to participate in you, Lord, to be changed forever by this meal. We can thank God that Christ invites us, sitting side by side with one another, to form an intimate relationship with him by uh, taking him in and experiencing him on a regular basis, as pictured by communion. So again, communion is just this wonderful, beautiful reminder that Jesus has commanded us to do as a means of remembrance of what God has done for us. There is a very serious, somber element to communion, of course. We don't want to ignore that. But there is also something celebratory in that we get to celebrate the eternal life that God gives us. Then the last piece that I'm going to share with you about celebration is this idea of living in transformation. And the biblical example that she excites with that is found in Philippians verses 4 through 13. And I just really appreciate this whole passage, so I'm going to read this whole thing. Uh, in, and this is a letter that Paul has written to the Philippian church. And so Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And I love this passage because it's just all about celebration. It's about giving thanks to God and being content in God, no matter what the circumstances are. That doesn't mean that when we're in challenging circumstances that we're always just artificially happy. Challenging circumstances are challenging, and it's okay for us to acknowledge the difficulties of those things. But being content is sometimes being different from being happy all the time. And being content has a greater meaning of being aware of God's goodness and knowing that in the end, it will all be all right because our fate is in God's hands. Our future is in God's hands, and God is faithful and just. Jan Johnson says this about the passage. Philippians 4, 4 through 13 describes how rejoicing people, and rejoicing is another word for worshiping or celebrating, change uh, these people in, change inside and out. They may even develop what the world describes as an optimistic outlook. Faith-based optimism is never empty-headed. Worship that is grounded in Bible study and meditation keeps our feet planted firmly on the ground, able to see the need for justice and courage in life. Yet, we draw from the resources of an alternate reality, the invisible kingdom of God. Responding to God in worship trains us to anticipate that God is at work around the next corner. And I think that just beautifully describes it and helps wrap up the discussion about worship and celebration. As I said earlier, this is our final episode for now that is talking about spiritual disciplines. And again, it's just a way of connecting with God. Um, it's not connecting to God as, it, as if we're plugging into an electric power outlet or something like that. It's a relational with. And she has one more thing that she uh, writes in here that I think is a really great way to wrap up our conversation about spiritual disciplines. She writes, in and of themselves, spiritual disciplines are worth little. If we merely go through the motions of doing them, they don't affect us. If we notice how much we do or don't do them and evaluate our spirituality accordingly, we turn our relationship with God into a bunch of rules. But if we use them to connect with God, we let Christ disciple us. 
certain character qualities are more likely to emerge. For example, responding to God in worship and celebration usually makes a person more joyful, thankful, generous, and dependent on God. I think that's a really great way to wrap up this conversation. So I hope that it's been beneficial for you. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or stories that you want to share on the podcast, please let me know. My email address is listed in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful and blessed day.